0: This is your chance, this is your opportunity, this is your comeback. Purdue Global, produce online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at PurdueGlobal.edu.
3: Welcome to Fitness Disrupted, a production of iHeartRadio. I am Tom Holland and this is Fitness Disrupted. Listener mailbag. Number six, the sixth episode of my answering the questions you have posed to me. And that is why at the end of every show, I give you ways to reach out, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, the website. Many of you now reach out with additional questions you have, either questions that I have not yet answered or questions about something I've talked about. I love doing these shows. It's amazing to me that we're already on number six. But again, that's why I give you the Tom H. Fit Instagram and Twitter uh, way to reach out to me, fitnessdisrupted.com website, because I want to hear from you. I want to hear the feedback, and I want the questions. The questions are amazing, and they are often questions that everyone has. So you know they there are no dumb questions i say that all the time because that's what this show's is about is is battling the constant barrage of bad information and misinformation so uh in that first time i did a listener bell back show as well i talked about how this is Kind of like uh, me answering questions at a cocktail party. So occasionally I'll throw in some studies, but this is more quick—you know, couple-minute answers to questions that you've asked. And you know, today I'm going to answer. I think we got five questions, but that fifth question has kind of four subcategories, four questions within it. And for you women, it's it's all about women and bulk and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's 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 a rapid-fire kind of response, but giving you the information you need as quickly as possible. Oftentimes, you know, I always want to give you and will give you the science when necessary. We need to talk about that and talk about the good science and the bad science. You know, just because it's a study doesn't mean it's right. But this show is a little looser. This show is... Rapid Fire give you the answer in, you know, a couple minutes because that's what so many of you want, especially in today's world where everything is is just done more quickly. So, yeah, five great questions directly from you. Uh let's take a quick break and when we come back, going to get right to it. Listener Mailback Show number 6. We'll be right back.
4: These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any
3: disease. And we are back. Again, I want to thank all of you who take the time to reach out and comment and ask questions because it really drives the show, uh, reiterates to me what what you're thinking about, uh, and the questions that are still out there. You know, the challenge for me is that I am... Turning 52, actually, in a couple days. And I've been doing this a really long time. So oftentimes I forget, you know, that there are 20 somethings and 30 somethings who are hearing things for the first time. And, you know, my goal is to slowly get rid of the myths, get rid of the misconceptions, and just crush them with science, with science and common sense and what has worked because I have been doing this a very long time and I've seen success. I've seen success with myself and clients and family, and I know it can be done, but you have to listen to what works, to listen to the science, to take all of this in and to take the anecdotal and to take what has, you know, worked for many people. But you can't do any one of those things in and of itself. It's not enough to just go, oh, this is what my friend did, and that's going to work for me. Or this is what a a study said, and so I'm going to take that as gospel. No. No, and that is what I've spent a lifetime doing, is studying it, putting it into practice, and then studying the motivation and behavioral side, and then taking all of those components, putting them together, and then helping you make sense of it. And figure out what works for you. All right, enough. <laughs> Let's get right into it. I love it. First question is from Jen. Sometimes I have names, sometimes I don't, and I will just use a first name. This question is from a Jen, though, and such a great question. Uh, two questions, but they're connected, obviously. She asks If I am doing an hour to an hour and a half strength workout, is it necessary for me to still attain 10,000 steps a day? I'm gonna stop there. It's the second part to the question. But let me start with that. First of all, awesome. It's nothing I love more than women just embracing strength training. Because as the final question will illuminate, there is that four-letter word when it comes to strength training that is keeping women from getting and achieving their healthiest bodies. Uh, but I get ahead of myself. So, love it. Hour and a, To an hour and a half strength workout. Now, I will say... That's a long time. Many of you listening do not need to do an hour to an hour and a half, but I don't know a lot about Jen. She may be competing. She may be a bodybuilder. She may be doing so many other things. So uh, that is often such a problem when it comes to people diagnosing, making recommendations. They don't have all the information. So someone would say that's way too long. No, it may not be. I don't know. She may be a professional athlete for all I know, but, The question is, if she's doing an hour to 90 minutes of strength, is it still necessary for me to attain 10,000 steps? Absolutely. You need to do your cardio. But let me talk about 10,000 steps, and I did do a podcast on that. But if you want to know the derivation, does 10,000 steps come from scientific study? Absolutely not. (laughs) Most people have no idea about that, which is why it was such a great topic for a show. But as it is put, The 10,000 steps originated in marketing, not medicine. (laughs) Such a simple way to put it. What do I mean by that? Well, it was a Japanese company back in 1965 that came out with a pedometer and basically in Japanese called it 10,000 steps meter. So that was the English translation, the 10,000 step meter. And it was to get people to move more. It was a great idea. And, you know, if you start to do the math, that's generally about 3,500 calories a week. If you hit 10,000 steps a day, I mean, there's a lot of variables involved. Here's what I care about is that you move more. You move more. And one concept that I have been hammering home for the past couple of years, and the pandemic has just, you know, illuminated it that much more, is that. Yes, you can go to the gym. Yes, you know, doing an hour to an hour and a half strength workout is great. But you can do that three times a week and sit all day long and not eat healthy. And, you know, that hour and a half, three times a week, what does it really accomplish? Still great. But my point is we need to move. We need to move. So the 10,000 steps don't really care about that number in and of itself, and I love you having goals. But if you're doing 5,000 steps right now, asking you to do 10,000 steps tomorrow, no. No. And so what I talk about is, if you're using a pedometer and you're interested in tracking your steps, and that's going to motivate you, find out what you're doing on a daily basis right now, and that may be 2,000 steps. And so what you want to do is slowly over time, get better at it. Move more. And there will be days where you don't, you know, there are days when I travel, you know, I can be doing Ironman, New Zealand and sitting on a plane and being in an airport. And I hit what a thousand steps. Do I freak out because I didn't hit my goal, whatever that number was my, you know, average that I had figured out for myself. You can't always beat yesterday. You should improve slowly, gradually over time, but there will be days when you don't. So, If you're doing strength, that is awesome. But your heart is also a muscle, and we need movement and non-exercise activity thermogenesis. The acronym is NEAT. That is just the fidgeting, the moving, the you know, standing, all of the activity you do all day long that that adds up. Hundreds, if not a thousand calories, depending on the person and the day. But that's what truly matters. We need to move. So over time. Exercise, the term will hopefully, if I have anything to say about it, will change. And it will be more about what we do all day long rather than what we do in the confines of a gym. So short, (laughs) or not so short answer to the first part of the question is, yes, you need to move more. You need to hit some steps. So I love that you're doing strength, but... Our heart is the most important muscle in our body, and so you need activity. Does it have to be 10,000 steps? No, but you need your cardio and your strength. Every great, well-rounded exercise wellness program has a cardiovascular component and a strength component. Okay. Second part to the question, though. Jen also asks, also, if I'm doing an hour-long spin class, should I still try to attain 10,000 steps? That's different. That's different. I still want her to move. I don't want her to, you know, get 500 steps because she did an hour-long spin class. But it's a great question. And since it falls into the bucket of cardiovascular exercise, I'm going to be more lenient here. It's not strength per se, right? It's a different kind of strength. I mean, lower body strength, but it's more cardiovascular for the most part. So I'm not as concerned about steps on a day like that because you did get your cardio in. So, you know, I'm a triathlete. Some days I bike, some days I run, some days I, I do more and both and whatever, but generally speaking, it would be bike one day, run the next day, right? So I don't worry as much about, you know, my running, my, my steps on a day when I biked. And so that applies to you as well. It's cardiovascular, you're going to reap the cardiovascular benefits as well as the mental benefits that come from that cardiovascular exercise. The big takeaway from this question though, everybody, is we need to move throughout the day. We need to move as much as we can, as frequently as we can, uh, throughout the day. And I do that. I'm standing as I do this show. I am someone who, at 51 turning 52, still generally runs up the steps. I've always moved. I don't sit down to get dressed. I don't sit down to put my shoes on. I talked about that in the episode on how to work balance training into your day. Such simple yet ridiculously effective ways to be as healthy as possible throughout the day. I never sit down to put my shoes on, put my socks on, to get dressed. It's balance training. And it's also, I just, it was always natural for me not to do that. Now, I'm not saying if you do that, it's a horrible thing. I'm just saying it's something you should consider. Especially as we get older. You can go on a Bosu at the, at the gym and do balance boards and all this stuff, and that's great. But why not know that you're doing it Every day, several times a day, when you get dressed. Enough. Great question. Thank you, Jen, for that question. Number two, love this one. These are just, they're always great questions, but this mix in Listener Bailbag Show number six is particularly awesome. Don't have a name for this one. Can you talk about bracing your core? I hear a lot of talk about it, but how do you do it? Should you do it for every exercise? Is it just sucking in your stomach? Thank you. The three questions, the follow-up questions were perfect. Perfect. So what is bracing your core? So I want to start by saying this, and it actually goes to the second question the person asked. Should you do it for every exercise? I personally think it is one of the most overused and in the incorrect uh, situations thrown out by instructors. You know, uh, engage your core. Now, I will often hear it during, like, bike workouts. Engage your core. Well, guess what? Let's go to the extremes, as I always do, because that's where we learn so much. So if I'm doing an Ironman race and I'm biking 112 miles, do you think I want to engage my core the entire time? And you may go, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'll get to it. Well, I should probably get to it. (laughs) So bracing, for those of you who don't know, see, it just kind of gets into its natural order of things as we go. Uh, Bracing is essentially, it's an isometric contraction of your abs. The way I explain it, to people, and and explained it back when I was teaching classes, is think about, especially if you have kids, that your four-year-old is going to punch you in the stomach. Okay? That is how, and as as I say it, I'm doing it, that is how you would contract your abs. So, right now, my abs are tight, but I'm talking. They're flat, they are engaged, but I'm talking. Now, I want you to think about, do I want to do that for 112 miles on a bike? Do I want to do that during a 45-minute class you know on my indoor bike do i want to engage my the whole no (laughs) no that is tiring it's actually expending energy and it's going to fatigue me over time so to the great second question part of you know can you talk about bracing your core should you do it for every exercise no no and so often the instructor will say engage your core brace your core And you shouldn't. Okay. And I so often go to, you know what? You're going to do things naturally. When a child is about to punch you in the stomach, do you sit there and just do nothing? Or do you engage your abs? So quite often when the exercise calls for it, our bodies are really smart machines, people. You're going to do it. Does that mean you don't have to think about it and you don't do it during certain exercises consciously? Of course not. You do. In the time I have, uh, I'm going to give you the quick overview, but that's a great starting point for you to think about it. So bracing your core, isometric. So isometric exercise is one where the muscle is not lengthening or shortening, but it is engaged. It is working, and that is pulling in your abs. Another common cue you will hear from instructors is pull your navel, pull your belly button towards your spine. That one wasn't as effective for me with clients over the years and and people in my classes, but that works for many people. Uh, So if that works for you, if that makes you understand more, pulling your belly button in, and again, I'm doing it as as I say it, then that works for you. Let me say this, though. Connecting to your muscles, so I can tell you to do that, but if you don't have the neuromuscular connections, if you're just starting out with exercise, you're going to have no idea, not only what I'm asking you won't have the the connections, the neural connections from your brain to your muscles to do that how do you get it? Over time I've talked about how I taught Matt Pilates for several years and did it for several years, obviously myself as well to make those connections, to get better at doing the exercise, so when I see someone doing 100 crunches that's not as impressive to me as doing 10 to 20 slow ones with good form Where the muscle is truly engaged. I can use momentum. I can do 250 really poor crunches, or I can slow it down. I can connect. I can brace. If you want to use the term here, it applies. And then do really slow, deliberate repetitions. So, is it just sucking in your stomach? Not really to a certain degree, to a certain extent it is, but it's not, right? I, let me just <laughs> let me just relax for a second. Hold on. Yeah, no. So if you just suck in your stomach the way most people would think about doing it, you're hollowing out. It's actually a bodybuilding move, old one. So it's different. So I think for most people, giving the cue of engage your abdominals just as if you're going to get punched in the stomach, that's going to do it. That's where you kind of, set your rectus abdominis in a protective bracing way. But it's confusing. Such a great question. And what we're talking about here, just to get into a tiny bit of the exercise science, is the transverse abdominis. It's a muscle most people, you know, many people have not heard of. So you've got your six-pack Your rectus abdominis, your obliques, people have heard of, you know, the Russian twist type exercises, internal and external obliques. You've got your lower abdominals that is a constant, you know, source of people trying to target those. Then, underneath all that, the deepest layer of your abdominal muscles is the transverse abdominis. They run between your ribs and your pelvis horizontally from front to back. And when you activate them, it is bracing, right? It is a corset, as they will say, around your lumbar spine and your internal organs. There's a lot going here. (laughs) It's a little longer response than I would give if we were to part. But you get the sense, right? It's a great starting point for you. You don't want to do it all the time. You want to stabilize your back and use good form. But this is where the good form comes in. If you're rounding your back, it's really hard to round your back when you brace your abdominals the way I just described to you. As if someone's going to punch you in the stomach. Try doing it. I'm trying to do it right now. Brace your abs. And then try to round your back. Can't do it. So this is where I will leave you with this. Because I'm always giving you the honest outlook and what I've experienced after years of teaching and doing all that kind of stuff, videos and everything. There are instructors who will try to make themselves sound really knowledgeable by using words like the transverse abdominus and all of this kind of stuff. And you'll have no idea what they're talking about. Oftentimes it's not the correct cue. And if you don't know what they're talking about, and it's way past your level of expertise at the time, it's not helpful. It's confusing. And you need to build up to it. Final thought, this goes back to that client I talk about frequently because it applies to this topic whenever it comes up. We were doing bicep curls, and I said, squeeze your muscle at the top. He said, what are you talking about? I said, squeeze your bicep. When you bring the dumbbell up, squeeze your bicep at the top. He said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And the light bulb went off. This was, you know... 30, 20 some odd years ago, probably. He didn't know. He didn't have that connection. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't an intermediate. He was just starting out, just learning. His body was just connecting to those muscles. So, great question. Think of that isometric contraction, be natural, use good form. And let me say, do those type of exercises, Pilates, those modes, uh, yoga, to make those connections slowly surely you will get better at them and the great takeaway is when you get better at them you get to do fewer repetitions the better you get at connecting with your muscles the fewer repetitions you will need to do because you are getting more out of every single rep hundred repetitions of crunch when you really are intermediate to advanced you don't need it and it's it's too much and when you look i have a friend in the industry he's a you know, well-known stuntman, fitness model, all over. Incredible athlete, young guy. He does 10 to 15 reps of most abdominal exercises and his abs are amazing. Now he is younger. (laughs) We'll see. No, my point is when you get really connected to those muscles, you will do less. So yes, not the perfect long answer. I will Answer those types of questions in future episodes as well, but we'll get you thinking and started on the concept. All right, number three, this one, the person is asking I just had um, done the episode on fruit with Wendy Ehlbeck, amazing nutritionist, dietitian, and he asks, "Would frozen berries still be good? I know juices aren't as efficient, but what about frozen whole berries for smoothies?" Any thoughts? Short answers: Absolutely. Not only. Is frozen, it's going to be counterintuitive to many of you listening, okay, it can be better. It can be better. What am I talking about? Well, let me just give you some quick notes from uh, Harvard Public Health. Uh, The carbohydrate, protein, fiber, and mineral content are similar between fresh and frozen. Uh, Frozen produce may contain more vitamins and phytonutrients than what? Days-old fresh items Though additional cooking and storage after defrosting may close that gap. And here's what people don't realize. Fresh produce can lose half of its vitamins and phytonutrients during storage or cooking. And finally, Harvard uh, Public Health says, interestingly, some frozen produce may be enhanced with vitamin C during the packaging process to prevent browning. So you may end up getting more of this vitamin than you get from fresh produce. So, yeah. Totally fine. Now, again, there's different ways to freeze. There's flash freezing, and studies have shown that if you flash freeze certain fruits and vegetables, by the way, they retain nutrients better because flash freezing stops produce from degrading. So, the short answer this, we're at a cocktail party, be like, not only is it okay, it can be better. On to the next thing. But let me give you a quote from a Mayo Clinic cardiologist, and this is Dr. Stephen Kopecki. I think this kind of summarizes it really well. He says, we know once it's picked a few weeks ago, it starts to decay and loses a lot of its nutrients. So studies have shown that if you can flash freeze something, it will retain its nutrients better because it retains its cellular integrity so the cells don't get deformed. Okay. Now, many of you are screaming, saying, Tom, fresh is better. This is a perfect example of how I approach... The science and the anecdotal and then what we can do. If I had fresh fruit available to me all year round, I would eat it fresh all year round. And if I had, you know, uh, all the time in the world, I would spend all the time making. Listen, what I had for breakfast this morning was in an enormous bowl of just that. Pears, apples, bananas, raspberries, blueberries. I think that was it. Strawberries fresh. But I also have frozen in the freezer. And I will put those into smoothies for myself, for my kids. This is second level stuff. What's the best protein? It's the one you eat the most often. Second level is, sure, we can debate, as so many podcasters do and whatever, the whey protein, pea protein. Seriously, are you eating whey protein each and every meal? You get it when you go to restaurants, you carry around, you know, a Ziploc bag or this is where you take the science and what you can actually do on a regular basis because what matters is what you're consistent about. So, have fresh fruit when you can and you can have frozen fruit when you can as well. What's most important, say with me, is that you have fruit. <laughs> okay? Awesome question. And you'll go people who oh no, I only have fresh. Listen, you live in California or wherever and you know, have access awesome but I do both because I want to get it in frequently and consistently in different ways. Thank you. Awesome question. Awesome question. Question number four. Actually, you know what? Let's take one more break. And then we have question four and question five and question five has four questions within it. All right. Final break. We'll be right back.
2: any disease.
3: All right. I threw this one in. Question number four. It's very vague, but I didn't want to leave it out. I answer every single question. Some questions I will answer directly the way you reach out to me, social media or through the website. But 99% of the time, I'm putting them on the show here. And this is one of them as well. So she's talking about struggling to commit during the pandemic. I followed your advice and took it slow, but my knees are always on fire. Advice. So again, this is There's not enough information here for me to make a a really good uh, assessment and give advice, but there's enough here to answer it, to help her and some others as well. Uh, Followed your advice, took it slow, but my knees are always on fire. Advice. So many people have knee issues and so many people have other issues. And I want to know what slow is. So there's so much information gathering that I need to do. What does that mean? What is she doing? Is it walking? Is it running? Is it strength training? Is it a mix of all of the above? But the notes I wrote for this one is, quite often we think it's slow and it's not. You can never go slowly enough, especially when you're starting out. Especially when you're starting out. You're coming from nothing. So when people say, I just did, you know, five minutes today, or I only walked a mile, you've heard me say it so many times, take those words out of your vocabulary. I even heard... An instructor I really like say, you know, if you, if you just have 30 minutes to work out, here's... No, are you kidding me? And listen, great instructor, this person. But this person also needs to take that word out. If, you know, when you have 30 minutes, here's what you're going to do. So you can never go slowly enough is my point. And my guess is that this person was probably doing the same thing. It's very rare that someone starts an exercise program, especially, and adds variation in right away. They find that one thing, it's walking or swimming, whatever it is, and they tend to do that. Even if it's not every single day, anything done repetitively is going to potentially lead to issues, especially when we're older. You know, you can't start running three times a week, four miles a time at age 50, And probably not expect to have some issues. But you can run three, four miles on Monday, do some strength training on Tuesday, do yoga on Wednesday, run again on Thursday. My point is this, that even without knowing the specifics of this, and and by the way, I, I always hate to hear when people have issues, especially described as knees on fire. But that's what I spent my entire 30s and 40s doing, is helping these people. And every single one can be helped. But you need to mix up the mode. You need to start super slowly, more slowly than you think. And it is just human nature and the the industry itself that pushes too many people to do too much too soon. So you can't start slowly enough. You build over time. But you got to be progressive. So... I want this person, if they are listening, to think back or think to what they're doing. Are they adding in enough variation? Did they truly start slowly enough? Is there a real mix of the five components of fitness that I've talked about? Cardiovascular strength, cardiovascular endurance, muscular strength. You know, are you changing even your diet, your sleep? All of those things can affect, not necessarily the knees right here but change many things a little bit, not any one thing a lot. My definition of the term that I came up with, excessive moderation. Do a little bit a lot because I don't want those needs to be on fire. All right. I wish I could give more specifics, but that is a great way to start for so many people. The variation part, we tend to do what we're good at and what we enjoy and we should, but that needs to be a percentage of what we do. And we need to do so many other things so that you can enjoy that thing that actually made your knees get on fire. Because I'm assuming she was doing something she enjoyed. Most people don't start off by doing, you know, something they detest as far as exercise goes enough that their knees are going to be on fire. So that is a completely, you know, logical way to reframe why you need to mix up your routine. All right. Final question number five. And this is the one with four. Yep, yeah, four kind of sub questions in it. Question is, I would love for you to consider doing a series of episodes specifically for women who are trying to lose weight and tone up. And then she gives four subcategories. How not to bulk, what workouts to do to tone, the correct way to use protein drinks, and supplements. All right. How not to bulk. That was the four-letter word I alluded to at the beginning of this show. One of the top reasons women fail to achieve their best bodies. That is one of the myths. How not, you know, to avoid getting huge, to bulk, to add muscle. And the line, you know, I use frequently now is, if you aren't trying to bulk up, you're not going to. You go, what do you mean? It is actually that simple. Women don't have enough testosterone. If you are not lifting insane amounts of weight, have the genetic predisposition, are taking certain things. If you are concerned about bulking up, you won't because you have to work really hard to do that. Now I know there are women who are listening who will never believe me. I get it, and it, and it makes me sad. I, mean, I had those clients years ago, and it was all about the number on the scale. And I would say, you know, we'd work together for a couple months, whatever. And I'd say, okay, we'd you know retest, and they go, okay, you've lost two, three dress sizes, and you've gained a pound, or you've lost two pounds. And they go, not good. I need, and I go, what do you mean? I need to lose more weight you go well you're down a couple dress sizes. like you've lost so much body fat and your clothes are fitting different you had to buy new clothes well i don't care i want to see that number that has to change that has to change so how not to bulk don't make that your goal and even if you make it your goal you're gonna to have to work really hard to achieve that and i know that sounds overly simplistic because there's too many charlatans out there pushing the bulk myth because it makes them money Makes them a lot of money. But it's not true. And it goes against exercise science, the amount of hormones that you have in your body, the amount of weight you have to lift, the amount of volume you have to lift, the amount of intensity you have to do it at. So that is one of the simplest ways to clarify it really quickly. If you aren't trying to bulk up, don't worry. Don't worry. And this goes to our second question what workouts to do to tone? Let me say real quickly, you know, what does tone mean? You know, there'll be many. People in the fitness industry now who will say, what is lean muscle? (laughs) I mean, muscle is truly muscle. What is lean muscle? What makes you feel better about it? Kind of sounds like tone, but tone is really a euphemism for not bulking up. All right, so the workouts you want to do to tone, and I know you're going to say, Tom, it's too simple. Again, I could push you workouts for your body type and and target spot reducing. And there are some really well-known fitness people that have been around a really long time that still push those myths. You're not going to hear it from me. So what workouts do you do to tone? You do full body strength workouts. Generally speaking, 8 to 15 repetitions where the last few repetitions are challenging. You don't try to spot reduce. You don't try to target tone. You don't just do your hips. That's why you're not seeing results is because you're not doing your full body. Because you're not doing your upper body. Different muscles in your lower body. The more muscle you have, the higher metabolism all day long, the more you're going to move around all day long. This is stuff people don't talk about. The fitter you are, the the healthier you are, the, the fewer injuries and aches and pains you have, the more you're going to move all day. The heavier we get, the more pains we experience, that's one of the horrible snowball effects. You move less. You don't even notice it. So the healthier you are, the more you do full body workouts, feel better, have more energy, You're going to burn those valuable calories all day long. So what workouts do you do to tone that strength workout that you enjoy two to three days a week, full body. If you're working out more, you can split up your body parts, but that's just frequency. But generally speaking, hitting your full body two to three times a week, strength training. That can be machines, dumbbells, body weight, bands, a mix of all of the above. Number three of uh, third part of question number five, the correct way to use protein drinks. For me, that's as supplements. Again, I could give you hours on this, but food is food. I try to get my protein from natural sources first and foremost. And for me, that's the Mediterranean style diet. So lean sources of protein, that's eggs and fish and chicken and those type of sources. Then I use protein drinks to fill in the gaps. And when I'm pressed for time. So for me, generally speaking, I have a breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And those protein drinks quite often fall in between. Or the protein drink is the breakfast. But to get inadequate sources of protein, quite often people just can't eat enough. And so to grab either a pre-made protein drink, you know, at 10 o'clock. So you've got your 7 o'clock breakfast. And then at 10 o'clock, you grab a protein drink and maybe an apple. Or a banana. And then you have lunch. And then maybe at three o'clock, you grab a protein drink, maybe after your workout too, and then you have dinner. So one to two times a day, depending on your goals and your protein requirements and needs. But for me, they are, if I'm taking in, which I am, five to six meals a day, one or two of those meals. And the correct way to use them is the way I just outlined. Plus, I still, I'm going to believe somewhat. I mean, there's conflicting information about the metabolic window. That is, you know, does it really matter if you take in protein within 30 minutes of your workout to build muscle? There's mixed information. Here's what I know. It doesn't hurt me. So I'm going to do it in case it does matter because there is conflicting information. That's the difference in how I approach science. It's not hurting me. So that is a final way I will use protein drinks. I need to get in when I'm really trying to build muscle significant amounts of protein so because I don't want to eat that many eggs or that much chicken I will use protein drinks to make sure I get in my adequate amounts of protein and then I will generally have that frozen fruit here we go the the callback frozen fruit with protein in my blender right after a strength workout so correct way fill in the gaps real food first and then secondly if you want to time it you can not only have it, by the way, after your workout, but the bodybuilders will have protein before they go to bed at night. Okay. And, you know, work on building muscle while they sleep. Awesome. Final question supplements. What do I think of supplements? Wow, we could do a whole show. I am constantly bombarded with companies asking me to represent the supplements, and I won't do it because they're oftentimes expensive, uh, questionable benefits, and questionable, you know, ingredients. I did do a show on my favorite supplements. Listen to that one if you want more specifics, but I'm going to give you the first and most important supplement to me. It's a multivitamin. I try to get everything I need through real food. When I say real food, I know people go, what is real food? Well, whole foods, things that haven't been processed, fruit and vegetables, lean sources of protein, healthy fats. But I'm not perfect. No one is. And so taking a multivitamin, giving my kids a multivitamin every morning, easy. Now, creatine is something else I will take, but that's to build muscle. And if this person is worried about bulking, they really don't need creatine. They just need adequate protein, in my opinion. But creatine would be one more. So it's protein, creatine, multivitamin if you want three. But supplements are supplements to supplement What you are doing, if you don't have your ducks, if you're not eating healthy and you're maybe complaining that healthy food is too expensive, which it isn't if you buy in bulk and do things like that. Why are you spending $60 on a weight loss supplement that doesn't work? Don't waste your money on supplements that don't work. And if you really want supplements, listen, they can do. I don't want to (laughs) get too off track here, but there can be incremental gains, I will leave it at this with supplements, but if you're not exercising, doing your cardio, doing your strength, eating healthy, those supplements, complete waste, in my opinion and experience. Once you have all those things in place for a while, then we can have the discussion. And even then, there's no silver bullet. It's still about protein and all that kind of stuff. In other words, there's not one supplement I'm not telling you about that I've taken that's like, oh my gosh, can't believe how powerful this is no those are basically pharmaceuticals okay do what nature uh, d- take in what nature has given us <sighs> okay now you got me worked up awesome questions awesome questions uh, thank you so much for reaching out with them again I know that sometimes y- you feel like you need more and I will give you more there will be many more shows touching on all these topics over and over again because these are the most important ones movement protein supplements making sense of the science so i have and will continue to delve deeper into all of these topics with the studies but such a great final way to bring it all together is the question about frozen fruit and regular fruit i'm not going to debate someone over whether you know fresh fruit is better who yeah fresh of course but how long has it been (laughs) how long was it shipped how long was it in transport? You know, are you actually going to the farm, farm to table? Okay, but we can't always do that. And that argument it doesn't work when it comes to what we can actually put into practice. Sounds good, makes people sound smart. And sure, you can back it up with some, some science, but if you can't do it frequently, then we got to figure out what we can. So mixing fresh fruit with frozen fruit, especially when you look at flash frozen, you can do and should do both. If you like both, all right, subscribe to the show. If you have not already, please rate the show. If you want to comment and Ken, where you listen, that is awesome. Always appreciate that. And again, these shows come from you reaching out. Tom H fit is Twitter. Tom H fit is Instagram and fitnessdisrupted.com. You can reach out to me through there as well. New book is the micro workout plan. Thank you everyone who has bought it. huge part of what I do is writing books as well, help you have even uh, more information and plans to follow. And listen, if you have bought it and enjoyed it, a huge ask from authors is a review on Amazon that is a huge part of us getting book deals. (laughs) It is a part of the whole process. So thank you to those of you who have as well. And if if you have read it and enjoyed it, I would appreciate that. Also, uh, thank you for listening. I absolutely love what I do. I take it so seriously. And we're talking about health here. This is my... This is my job. This is what I have done and will do for the rest of my life. And my goal is to help you have your best life, to give you the best information so that you can find out what your plan is, what cardio you're going to do, what healthy foods you're going to eat, what motivates you. And we're going to figure that out together because there's three things we control. How much we move, what we put into our mouths, and our attitudes, and that is awesome. I am Tom Holland. This is Fitness Disrupted. Believe in yourself. Fitness Disrupted is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
4: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits
0: Right Rug Flooring.